Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following is excerpted from a session of Dharma Dialogues held in Lennox Head, Australia in August of 2019. It's called Your Mysterious Self. You may also want to check out our upcoming events for Melbourne and Hobart in November of 2019, our five-day retreat in New Zealand in April of 2020, and our 10-day retreat in Italy starting in late October 2020. We have the illusion of a steady state of self, a self that is consistent. And we create this illusion ongoingly with all our little bits of information, memories, desires, pictures, future plans, our stories about where we came from and experiences we had with friends. And it's very interesting, for instance, let's say you have an experience with your friend. You go to Tibet. And you both were on the same journey. You were together the whole time. But the recording of what your friend recorded in his or her mind is different than the recording you made. You were both experiencing the trip, neither of you were in some sort of fantasy about it. It's just that there were different bits recorded. And even those bits that you recorded later on might get changed in your memory. Right? Things get changed later. So there are all these different flows of material that give us a sense of a consistent self. This is who I am. We also do it with our future pictures as well. We have pictures about how we want the future to go or how we think it might go. And if that starts evolving in a different way, then we are now confronted with, again, revising who we think we are. So many times people have a plan about their future, and if it doesn't come to be, it rattles their sense of self because the identity was hooked onto these bits of information. But what if we released our identification with all these little bits of information of who we think we are, And what if you allowed yourself to be much more mysterious to yourself? Much more experiencing a feeling of presence and awareness that flows on, but is not so much identifying with the bits of information, with the stories, with where you've been and what you wanted and what you didn't want and what you got and right how dramatically different life would be 
So, of course, one has a sense of, of being, but that is really your truest sense, simply being. That's what you can really know. And a lot of the history and the the ways that you've presented to the world and all of that can become much more amorphous to you. We've all had the experience of suddenly having to revamp who we think we are, right? My girlfriend, one of my best friends, yesterday sent me a text saying she'd gone to get a mammogram some weeks ago and and they'd asked her to come back which is never a happy thing (laughs) but of course she didn't expect anything big but anyway she said that the doctor had said it's 98 percent chance it's cancer and one of the things she was processing in the receiving of this information was it shocked who she thought she is. Like, it was like, that can't be right. That can't be happening to me, right? The the person I thought I was. Part of the processing of, of course, it's the troubling bit of information in so many ways, but part of the processing that she was going through with me on the phone was about the identification, about who who's this happening to? And she said, I feel like I'm a different person watching this. Right? So we, ha- we all have similar experiences in different ways. Even in like the death of someone close to us, suddenly it just ratchets around your sense of who you are. But I propose you can get used to letting those things be very freely let go, right? Just feeling like you're in a kind of a wash of the identified thoughts will arise because they're strong and they're habitual but there can be a seeing through them. I've quoted this before, but apparently, according to the legends, when the Buddha woke up, the first thing he said was, house builder, I have seen you. Your ridgepole is now broken. And it's a fantastic um, image. House builder, I've seen you, right? The ridgepole, the main structure, is now broken. So when we see through this, when you can see by just simply assessing it even in this moment, how here you sit, all the stories, all the identification, all the times you thought you knew who you were, (laughs) and here you sit, and what can you really say? about this being now, this experience you're having. What can you really say in truth about who this is and what this is? 
here and now. I remember one time when I was quite young, at my parents' house, there was one, they they had a bar. (laughs) They had a bar in the den. (laughs) And behind the bar was a gigantic mirror with lots of fancy bottles and things. (laughs) And I was walking by that mirror one day, I was probably 10, and I looked at it, and I was looking at my own image, and I, and it looked very mysterious to me. <laughs> I looked at it and I thought, who is that? <laughs> I really love that, being a mystery to yourself. And I know that in times in my life when... You, for whatever reason, you know, you're dropping an old identity and you're discovering yourself anew. Yeah. And it's so magical and alive and all that. And then that identity starts to coagulate and become something then, you know, so <laughs> and then you're kind of stuck in that identity, you know. Yeah. So there's that, that kind of transition point which is so precious where yeah. everything's possible and, and you know, it's there's something you're discovering but you're also, you know, open and I'm wondering... <laughs> if you have any advice about how to stay in that middle section. So as you're discovering the mystery of yourself, how that yeah. doesn't become another house, another structure that yeah, you're sort of right. stuck in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my recommendation, of course, is to, uh, is to assess, like when you start to feel strong identification about something, which can usually be, can be discovered through agitation sometimes, right? Something's really agitating you and you start to deconstruct what is it that's getting agitated and usually it's some form of identification. Um, now, of course, if somebody's trying to harm you, that's different. That's, I don't mean that. But I mean just the normal... Uh, irritants with human behavior, um, you know, and the, or the ways that you might be judging something that's going on, even that isn't personally connected to you. Yes, yeah, so this shows up where your rigidity is yes, and that new identity. Exactly. You've already that's started right. to become like, this is right, that's right. wrong. Yes, yeah. exactly, right. And then it can also show up in your desires. It can show up in a very intense like when you start to feel a burning desire or a big story is coming on, if, I don't, if that doesn't happen, someone's going to be in trouble, probably me, right? Um, that's another form of, identi- of identification. Is, so it can go from like agitation or fear to desire. Um, and so those can be the, the triggers to show you what the identification is and... And then, having seen that that's, what the, that's where the ridgepole is starting to get built, that's the time for reassessing, like to look at it and say, wait a minute, do I need to be holding on to this desire that's causing me pain and that I can see through and that I can release because it occurs to me like those houses, you know, it fall down and you break the ridge pole when the structure becomes uncomfortable or suffering or yeah. you're sick of it or whatever. Right. But whilst it's still enjoyable, 
Yeah, there's very little. Relu- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm reluctant to break it down. <laughs> right. Yeah, it'll go unnoticed more long for a longer time, <laughs> which um, is which is sort of okay, actually. You know, it's it's because it will get it will get broken as well at some point. At some point, if you if you're enjoying it and you're getting to know it, and then some point it becomes old becomes a memory an artifact or something right. you know, you're no or longer it becomes in the or it becomes broken through like my like my girlfriend said yesterday mm-hmm. this isn't me how's this me you know um who she's done everything right and been so healthy and <laughs> doesn't do any bad things doesn't eat sugar in years <laughs> so that kind of way that time itself will destroy all of our illusions about identifications you know, imagine sometimes, I mean, as you've heard me say, I do this this uh, practice sometimes of just imagining myself on my deathbed, you know. Where's the identification then, you know? Where are the big stories? Where's all of the things that didn't happen or that I thought was going to be the future or, right, that, that kind of perhaps extraordinarily liberating liberating view, though with perhaps some sadness, depending on the circumstance. But to have that kind of whisper as you go, as you're in your full swing of your strong identification and something's really pissing you off, and this one is an idiot, and that one is greedy, and the system is, you know, horrible, and... (laughs) You know, and um, right, all of those things, and you can make a case for a lot of it being true. Yeah. It's just that you, if you're having to sit in judgment of it constantly, um, it's useful to look at the ways sometimes these strong identifications and this strong sense of self. Um, is propping up, it's like the first line of defense against some other kind of insecurity, right? Of the need to be right, of the need to be superior, right? And it occurs to me it's that sort of comfort zone you create within that identity, your own kind of house, but it does sort of separate you, Yes. you know, in subtle ways from meeting the mystery, you know, finding out. Yes. It makes things predictable and known. That's right, and people clutch that, you know, and they don't realise the cost of it. That's it. It's the cost. Yeah, they don't know the cost of it. Because you can stay trapped in, or not trapped, but stuck in that one identity or that, you know, that one comfort zone at the expense of the chain, you know, whatever else Absolutely. is Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's one of, the, one of the values of when people do experiment, let's say with mind-expanding drugs, or they experiment with dharma, um, you know, they use silence, as the gateway, a portal, to another way of seeing reality, of another way of, and, and really it's to another sense of yourself. It's not just, seeing, not just seeing out there, but it's seeing in here. You realize 
all of the big stories you were practicing and going over and over and over every day, like having your head in the spin cycle every minute <laughs> um, about me, 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 right? Um, it, it gets released. It gets broken through, you know, and that is one of the values that, you know, we used to say in the 60s and 70s, you could sort of tell who had been on those journeys <laughs> in those ways. You could tell there was something about them that was looser, that was more free, that was more, you know, mysterious, you know, and... Um, and it gets, sort of opens that doorway to the unlived self, you know, yes. because if you want to stay in that comfort zone, you're living in a part of yourself, whether it's causing you suffering or causing you joy, you're still just in a... Right. You're in a in a, in a tiny, in a tiny little slot, yes. And we all know, no, not only in our own cases, but we all know people who seem stuck. Bless their hearts. It's, it's hard. It's very stale. Yeah. It's very stale to be in relationship with that. Yes. Yeah, yes. Like exactly. Yes. And it's really, it's really grounds for compassion. You know, it's really grounds for. Um, because you can also feel in their ways of perceiving that those are all shut down as well, that it's going to be a predictable perception. It's going to get filtered through the identification that is very, very stuck, and you could almost predict how they're going to react. Um, so what's different about the free flow of being a mystery continually to yourself is that you're unpredictable even to you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Let alone to everybody else, right? You're unpredictable to you. And that's so, you know, it's like being a kid again in a way, you know? It's like you get to be in your childlike way. <laughs> yeah, that's really beautiful. Thank you. So I wanted to talk about um, the disillusionment of the spiritual identity. Yeah. <laughs> because for a large part of my life, this was what fueled, you know, my practice, my inquiry, and my, you know, um, unconscious desire for sex, power, and fame. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like in the last three, four years especially, that sort of, sense of me as, you know, an enlightened person or, you know, a person that's, you know, awakening or, you know, that can access my true nature at any moment. That even that idea is sort of really crumbling, especially with both of my daughter and getting really real with things. Yeah, um, beautiful. But, but on the flip side, I feel like a lot of the things that propelled me towards, you know, deep silence and um, inquiry, mm -hmm. that's also bit fallen away. I feel like now I, mean, I have a lot of worldly responsibilities. I'm not finding, you know, as much time in that deep silent state or even, you know, do the inquiry because I just, it's like almost like I, I don't even need to do those things. But I'm wondering, am I kidding myself? Am I sort of found in this new, very practical, you know, I don't know, a new sort of ego state that somehow I'm stuck in, you know, so I'm sort of, um, 
I mean, I'm pretty, you mentioned that free flow, you know, I find myself going that free flow, especially with my work, being with people. Um, and it's, and it's wonderful. I'm finding like that, the free flow more in the day to day, but I want to really sort of start to unpack this and see if, am I, you know, where am I hiding and where am I not seeing things clearly? How old is your child? 18 months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is not the phase for having a whole lot of <laughs> time for quiet meditation here. You know, it's, you're in the phase of taking care, you know, this is, and, and you have a job. Yeah. yeah. So you have a job and a, a, a an infant. And, and a, you know, a sick wife. And a sick wife. So you've got your hands full with, this is a phase that requires your um, undivided attention on these things, on caretaking. And they're beautiful. It's a lot of love, right? So I would just say, yeah, just roll with this one. And again, part of the releasing of these identifications is any story that says you're not in the right identification, right? So in this particular phase... Your father and provider and husband, right? Those are the hats you're wearing. You can wear them in a kind of light way that basically says, this is what I have to do now. This is what I'm doing. Um, without a heavy, ugh, you know, a heavy armoring that you're having to wear with those, right? Because I find that sometimes... I do get particularly triggered because life pre, you know, pre baby was quite excellent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now it's just like everything is uh, very challenging, <laughs> to put it lightly. Yeah. And so there's the time that we have this identification with, like, oh, it's my wife and my daughter. The, it, it's your fault, or you know, kind of like this. Um, I won't say blame, but it's more like this sort of. Um, resentment that comes up. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I've just... I love how honest you're being in this. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... And it doesn't come all the time, but it comes up sometimes. And it's like, I know that that's just a story that comes to my mind, but it grips me. And I have this emotional reaction sometimes. And it takes me a while you know, to sort of catch myself. Um, but yeah, I guess there's, there's still this... This ego that says, oh, I was free and now I'm not free. And then I catch myself and, yeah, it's, it comes and goes, comes and goes. But I feel like, yeah, I feel like it sort of just keeps on coming up and then I see it and it doesn't pay and it comes again. And, yeah. This is a particularly hard phase, I would say, with such a young one who maybe doesn't sleep through the night and all of those things. So, um, you know, and it's, you're not the only parent who's ever had these thoughts, but not that many of them actually speak them. Um, so, you know, just forgive yourself all of that and let yourself off the hook about woulda, coulda, shoulda, right? And see if you can just, I mean, again, part of the surrender of identification is this, the identification to who you used to be and what your life used to be. Now this is the new you, the new plan, the new expression. 
your awareness is, is now being called for a different purpose than it was. And all of that can be very, if you allow it, it can be very fresh for you. Again, like a whole fresh way of being of, and letting yourself really feel the love that you have for these two, pe- these two people you live with, you know, really let that compensate the, uh, some of the sacrifice, which is you're, perhaps you're more exhausted now and you don't have as much time for some of your own pleasures, you know. Yeah, but I feel like, you know, so in compensation, my heart is really opened. Yeah. Before it was very much like being in the emptiness or the head or, you know, I feel like this part here is really flowered. Well, that's a good, yeah. that's a good trade-off, <laughs> yeah. you know, having, having that intense love, you know. Mm-hmm. So don't miss it with thinking you should be somewhere else because you obviously are where you are and you're in it and you're probably not going to walk away from it. So to really then, okay, go for it fully and all the while as you're living it just what we're saying the the allow yourself to be mysterious to yourself right you might discover this this father role just kind of you know really floats your boat (laughs) you know and yeah and sometimes that can happen almost like in a moment. Like in a moment. I'm just having a memory of a little story. Some friends of mine had this fabulous house in Los Angeles. And I, had used, I used to live there, but I had already left. And I had come back just to visit. And they asked if I wanted to house sit their house. So I said yes, and so I was going to be there several months. They had this menagerie of animals, pets, that were part of the house-sitting job, which I didn't realize was going to be quite the level of work that it turned out to be. And to tell the truth, their animals were all fairly neurotic. (laughs) Like all of them had like eating disorders and pooping disorders, and except for one of them, this little cat little small cat who never hung out at the house. She was always somewhere else off on her own. She would only show up for mealtimes and then she'd disappear because she didn't want to be around the rest of them. And so I had this thing of like, oh, it was such an ordeal taking care of these animals and cleaning up after them. One of them was constantly vomiting and another one was constantly pooping all over the house so um, time passed I began to like have a kind of interest in the little one that stayed away I began to realize that one is very cool so anytime she was around I was really kind of sort of trying to get close to her she was known by the family to like not let anyone get near she didn't No one could hold her or anything like that. She was really kind of a wild creature. But slowly, 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 we started to bond. The family came back, and they were staying at their other house. And they took all the animals to the other house. And I'm staying in their their fabulous guest house. 
So I asked if I could keep that one with me. And they said, okay. So bit by bit by bit, I'm making friends with her. And there was this one day when she came in and she jumped up on the couch where I was sitting and she came and sat on my lap. And I fell madly in love with her, like crazy in love. It would have been a long, you know, a long lead up. Um, but I bonded with this cat and I kind of became her mom. And for years afterwards, long after I had left Los Angeles, when I would go to visit them, the family, and she then went back to her old routine of never being around, never hanging out at the house, never being anywhere near them except to come and eat. <laughs> She'd disappear again because they had the way they had their cat doors all set up. She, every, all, of the, all of the animals could come and go. Um, but when I would show up, within an hour, she would show up. And then she would stay in the house and sleep in the bed with me. And then when I would leave to go get on a plane, she would again start disappearing from the house. And uh, as you can imagine, this sort of had a heartbreak component for me because I would have liked to have just taken her as my cat. But I was on the road and didn't really, I couldn't do it. And I, didn't, I don't think they would have given her up anyway because they also loved her in their way. And so, but my point is that there was just this moment that it, it was just like, it was almost like a toggle switch. It went from like, how cool is this little creature to like this whole other mothering feeling that came over me and that I still feel to this day, she's still alive. And so I guess I'm saying this by way of saying, who, did, who suddenly was I in that moment? Right. As with any time, one kind of instantaneously falls in love. It's sort of like you, you move from like a, one territory to another. Right. And that shows up in so many different ways in life. So, yeah, there could just be a surrender. Right. A really deep surrender that just says, this is the groove and I'm going to enjoy it. Thank you. I th yeah, I've the way I've sort of seen it's more like my karma yoga. So, yeah, which has a kind of toil to it, doesn't it? Like, car if you see it as karma yoga, it still kind of has a tinge of a bit of an ordeal. Maybe service is the right word. I'm not sure. I'm mm -hmm. really framing karma yoga mm -hmm. in, in in the exact way. It's like it's my service. It's a way for me to, you know, to serve yes. without any strings attached. Yes, it is that. And it can also be like your greatest love affair. Right. It can have that quality of service, which inevitably it does because it requires your effort and energy and resources. But um, it can also be that you're in service to a love affair. That's part of the surrender. Okay, thank you. Yeah.
I'm in a kind of a part of my life where things are my my identity is actually changing quite rapidly, mm-hmm. um, and actually specifically the last weeks or so, and it's coming a lot of kind of uh, fear and is coming up, um, and I'm in this kind of constant state, especially the last week of just anxiety and waking up in the middle of the night and just can't sleep and um and so the the you know excitement of the change is kind of not yeah it's kind of pushed away by the terror and the fear and um and I guess it's something that's been kind of churning for a long time so that's maybe why that's there. But, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering if you have any uh, yeah, have mm-hmm. any advice on yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is the change something you perceive to be a hard new way or is it just that it's, that it's something that is brand new and you don't know what to expect or? Uh, yeah, probably both. Mm. Yeah. Well, trepidation in change is is normal. It's yeah. a human thing. Mm. And especially if it requires a letting go of all that was familiar about who you think you are and what you were doing and what you were up to and how things were going to unfold. Yeah. Um, all of that gets washed away when confronted with, okay, none of that's going to be the case, you know. So, yeah, naturally some trepidation arises, fear arises. It's useful to hold steady to a feeling of you you don't know how you will be through this. I once heard Ram Dass say something pretty fascinating. Um... You know that he had a big stroke about 20 years ago. And so post-stroke, when he was finally able to speak well enough to be understood, for a while he actually couldn't, he didn't have any language, couldn't really speak much. But but it got better and better with time. Um, So at the point that he could actually express himself again, and by the way, the stroke pretty much paralyzed him. One of the things he said was that pre-stroke, it had been a kind of fear, not that he thought about it a lot, but he, he thought like that would be being paralyzed and being so diminished in terms of his own language and articulation would have been one of the most scary things he could have, imagined and was just horrifyingly scary as it sort of is for most of us right we often might think god if that happened but he said post-stroke it he sees that it wasn't as bad as he thought which is so fascinating to me like he said it wasn't what he thought it was going to be <laughs> Amazing, huh? Yeah. And liberating to think of that possibility. Mm. Um, so 
I really took that to heart and allowed myself the thought or the, or the information to live in me that often my fear about something has turned out to be a big boogeyman that once the thing happened, it was different than what I had feared. It may not have been pleasant still, but it was different. And often the fear part was the worst of it, you know. <laughs> so if you can sit in the unknown, sit in the kind of confidence of saying to yourself, at each step, I'll take the step that I need to be in at that moment. And at the next moment, I'll take that next step, right? So you don't have to have the full picture of the plan in, in your head, which also can be very, very um, exhausting and scary because, you know, it may not be working out as your picture. Mm. But the confidence can be, however it's going, I'm going to ride with it, Right? And however I need to be in the moment I need to be there, I'll be that. Part of this whole thing we're talking about, being a mystery to yourself, having to adapt, you know, having to, to adapt in the new circumstance and finding some other way of yourself that heretofore you didn't know. Like that. Yeah, and there's, I guess, you know, having observed that through these last weeks, there's almost as much beauty as that in that than any outcome, yeah, per se. Absolutely. Yeah, just kind of meeting that moment and just, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. You know, a lot of times we're looking, we're looking outside for us to be lit, to be lit up. We're looking. We're looking for something out there to light us up, right? But the only way you're going to be lit up is from within. You're only going to ever be lit up from within. And you already know that. You've already experienced it thousands of times, right? And you've also experienced times when you thought that external thing was going to be the thing that lit you up, and maybe it didn't, mm. right? Or it did for a while and then not. Yeah. So it's to come back to where you're going to find your really, your, the shining experience of being is how you're using your attention. How you're using your attention here. <laughs> And when you, have, when you really kind of have many times of that being your habit, mm. it, it, it comes with confidence, mm. right? So that you can go through a stroke and get onto the other side of it and say, it wasn't as bad as I was afraid of, mm. right? You know, I've told this before. When I was a kid, I was a long-distance runner for my school. Um, and now I, 
I have trouble with my feet. I have a lot of pain in my feet. I have to be careful about walking. I can't really walk for more than an hour. And during the hour, I still have pain. And now it's gotten to the point where I kind of have a lot of pain at night as well, even when I'm not on my feet. Um, if you had told me that when I was a kid, I would have been terrified. I would have thought, oh, my God. You know, I would have just been, it would have been unimaginable um, horror <laughs> if you told me that when I was a kid. But honestly, at this point, I don't mind. <laughs> it's like, I just adapt. <laughs> I don't have a story that I need to be running about. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have an identification about it. I don't feel like I'm being seen as a cripple. I don't, or if I was, I wouldn't care. You see what I'm saying? It's like the the terror of it in advance is much worse than the actual lived reality of this. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it, it makes sense to me, and that's what I keep telling myself. Um, that on the other side, it's not going to be as bad as I expect it. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Somehow it takes a bit longer for the body to yes. get that. <laughs> yes, that's true. To live it. Or... Yeah. The body um, can, the, 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 the thoughts and the emotions that arise around things like that mm. can trigger bodily chemistry that takes much longer to process, mm. even though the assessment that comes in, the, the clear awareness can come in and say, that's ridiculous, don't keep indulging that. But nevertheless, the body already got triggered. And so just treat it like indigestion mm. and let it pass in its own good time and not worry that it's there, you know? Not worry that it got triggered. Yeah. And that can happen in all kinds of ways that it gets triggered. And some people are more prone, due to their own delicate nervous system, to that being triggered, right? Some people are more prone to anxiety, and therefore it's more easily triggered. (laughs) Yeah, and I think there's always that hope that, you know, maybe the cat will just... I'm my life one day or something. <laughs> and you'll fall <laughs> in <well>. love. Yeah. <laughs> I just accept, you know, just accept it and be with it. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Or that, that turning point will just sort of, yeah, never know. Right. Yeah. Well, also that turning point can happen in other circumstances whereby, let's say, there's been some story that is scary in your heart or your mm. being or your mind. Um, and there can be this strange seeing through it in an instant and the ridge pole gets broken in that instant, mm. right? And suddenly it's a release of the nightmare, almost as if someone shook you and said, wake up, sweetheart, you're having a nightmare. And you wake up and at first it's sort of like you're still a little bit in the nightmare and then you realize, oh, it was just a dream, mm. right? And that moment of freedom that you have, sometimes being woken from an, a nightmare, you can have in a daymare of, of seeing through something, 
and realizing I don't have to suffer this again in this moment. I don't have to, I can let this go. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is story, you know? Yeah. The story of what might have been or should have been or what's going to be. And a lot of times those stories can be far worse than the reality. Thank you. Yeah. I was getting irritated and um, I felt like I'd come here again and again I felt like what you were talking about was sort of destabilizing and I was like oh no I don't need to feel more like the ground is moving underneath me and I can't find a, find any um, soothing in what you're saying that it was just feeling uh, like uh, and it's my experience my body's changing my things you know I have a lot of moving parts and perceptions and uh, then I was asking well why do I come here actually and then that conversation was so great because there was a moment when you said something about we're often looking for something outside of ourselves and I don't even know you could have said it in another moment and it wouldn't have landed but something about it being in me and there was just a plop like just a, a drop and uh, it, was, it was just very relieving somehow and I do and then what I came here for I sort of started to get <laughs> which is, but it's it is only when I can bring something back I was like something just sort of and it was in the process of me thinking I'm going to pick up the microphone I'm going to say I'm irritated da, 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 that somehow something started to shift yeah and so it was those words and confidence there and you've talked about confidence before and it just feels like a real key for me because it's it's shit that I know and I just don't allow myself to have the confidence to really trust it. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you. Yeah, confidence. And it comes with your own experience. That's how confidence comes. It's not through belief. It's through making the experiment over and over and it being consistent for you, which is that you use your attention to be lit from within, right? You use your attention intelligently, wisely. And it's true what you say about the way that we have to give ourselves permission to do that, right? Not postpone or wait for some sort of fairy tale enlightenment to descend on you, right? But rather keep using your own attention wisely. And then you develop a confidence because you've been through, you know, we all go through lots of difficult things through our days. And we hear news and we have, there's losses and people we love are suffering and so on. So you have many, many opportunities to use your attention to stay in your quiet, clear space. And you keep doing that. And then there builds a natural confidence that, you're going to keep doing that because it's the one thing that makes the most sense.
Yeah, I'm always really um, uh, moved just by being in proximity with others doing a inquiry. And I think it's like, well, what got, what got me here and why? Why anything, <laughs> really? Um, but I, that just feels like a fruitless mental story, really, the, um, that the... But there is a, there, there's a calling or a yearning or a, um, a benefit in the company, in the field, which is not accessible in the same way if I sit in my own, you know, either perfect stillness, <laughs> rare, or, you know, story. So... Um, I guess what is um, what's present in um, in my world is the um, the disquiet of consideration of the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. And um, I read something today in that deep adaptation Facebook group, and there's lots of really like you know, considered intelligent conversation and preparedness and and I, I just they, they, uh, I think the the real discomfort in a way is that I had such a radical, in a way unwanted, separating from my, what a place that I would call home and family you know, community and belonging in the way that fed the tr- you know, and I, that I've known before. So it's kind of like now where and now what and what, what am I called to do? Mm. Because, yes, the need absolutely for the sweet attention, the mystery has been my <laughs> mistress the <laughs> and many wonderful forms and wonderful teachers. Yeah. And it's not just about me. And I know the... Right beauty of showing up and of contribution. Sure. Giving my gifts, being, even if it's just sitting in the excruciating unknown of it all, in presence that has benefit. And um, so there's just a lot of where, what, why, how. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, and the point of that reading this piece was from someone who I've Met and respect um, Vicky Robin, and she said that there was something about the idea of a future, rather than, of course, it's unknown, mm-hmm. but having the idea of it gives ground or a sense of where that that if this practice or plant these seeds and there's a plant growing in the future, you know, mm-hmm. do this work and there's you know so there's momentum. I don't know what that all means, but there's a paradox in there. Sure. About the stillness and the, yeah, I'm willing to sit with heartbreak. Yeah, I know you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And how, yeah, just how to hold that in a less tormented way maybe. (laughs) Well, um, there's a line I love, um, from W.S. Merwin, on the last day of the world, 
I would want to plant a tree. Right. So, William S. Merwin, he was a, an American poet. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just died recently, and yeah, he was known as W. S. Mer- Merwin. Um, yeah, on the last day of the world, I'd want to plant a tree. Right. So, in your daily life. Like you're just giving everything over to existence without, you're planting the seeds without knowing they're going to grow. Right? Yeah. You're just, it's like a different level. And it's true that most of the time throughout history, people had the idea of a future. They had the idea of a future. Whether or not they got to have it, that was always, um, you know, you didn't know. Somebody, you know, death comes unexpectedly a lot. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but at least they had the idea of a future going on for others, you know. But we're just in new territory all the way around now. So it's a whole new, again, a different kind of identification Right? Being a different kind of creature now that's basically saying, who knows how this is going to go? How long is it going to go? What it's going to be? And who we are is having to be very new to ourselves and to how we think about things. That how you'll be called upon to offer help will be obvious in the moment. And each, and in the next moment, and the next moment, right? And just let anything be revealed to you as you go, like as we're sitting here and as we carry on. Just whatever comes up, you know, just let yourself feel into it. And if it makes sense, yes. If not, no. <laughs> um, like that. It's a definitely, it's definitely a readjustment to think about. Um, what I called in my essay the, le- the end of legacy. Because we're very conditioned to be thinking constantly about legacy. <clears throat> Whether I'm leaving something behind or I'm, I'm leaving a name behind, I'm leaving a work behind, I'm leaving all these people behind who will love me and talk about me when I'm gone. Um, all those kinds of ways that we unconsciously have, leg- have legacy issues, part of our identification, part of our sense of me. I was here. So we imagine it even when we're not going to be here. We imagine the I was here part, and we want that to be important. And it's a real adjustment to be letting go of that one. It's a psychological, a deep psychological adjustment. Um, you know... But there were plenty of cultures who um, were not afflicted so much with that idea at all. They, their idea was to leave no trace. Right? And even when I heard about those cultures back a long time ago, you know, when I was just a young hippie, <laughs> um, I admired that. 
I knew that I admired that. I wouldn't have been able to say why, right? But I knew that I really liked that idea, that to just leave no trace. <laughs> so all these ways that we have been living in these thought grooves, it's like Michelle and I were talking about how refreshing it is when suddenly you're not in that thought groove and leaves you freed up to respond to things that come along. I was feeling into what you were saying and how it's nice just to be in the field, you know, and yeah. I always do notice that my body just gets really relaxed. So I just relax. Yeah. But then I, I noticed how this idea of future too, how little I care about identification. You know, I feel a bit bad about it in a way. Like, Don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like a field of some, you know, some intense looking. Mm. But I sort of like hearing it talked about mm -hmm. and I have a sort of vague interest in the topic, you know, and I, um, I think when this idea of future is out there, I think what sort of sits in me is like I have no idea what matters. I just have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And that's just the, the truest thing. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah? Great. I don't know. And sometimes it feels like a lazy I don't know or there should be something, you know, there should be something that I'm trying to do. And the things that I am trying. You are trying, doing, you are doing, yes. yeah, some and things. And with those <laughs> things that I know you know about, um, I'm also like maybe there won't be time to finish it or maybe it will never get this. And it's like, well, you know, it, it's just a very strange, it's just a very s strange time to be here, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, the truest thing that I can say is it's just nice to be around people asking yeah. questions. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And sharing simple beingness together, right? Because that is really the frequency that is here. It's people who love that, who just love the deeper, the deeper uh, well of being. You know, and so we speak words that, you know, either point to or come from that place. And it gives us all permission to enjoy it, right? And to to value it and to think I'm not crazy. I'm not just I'm not the crazy one here in the world, you know, that there are others who love this frequency and that there are many others and there were through time. But it doesn't get the kind of celebration that one thinks it might deserve, you know. Um, but that's just how it is. Punjaji used to always say that. He used to always say things like that. He would say, he would say things like, of all the people in your family, your extended family, 
Who is interested in this? Only you. Of all the people in your village, who is interested? Of all the people in your city, of all the people in your country, right? And we point out that it's super rare that people, you'd think that there would be more if people had just understood, you know, that they, many more people would want to live in the quieter ways and the simpler ways. But conditioning is strong. And now cultural conditioning, media conditioning, there's just such a group think that's going on, I think, like never before. Even in my lifetime, it's changed, you know. It is just being spoon-fed through the most powerful media and social media and every kind of mediated vision that's being implanted, you know, in the minds. And as Michelle was saying before we started, you know, the, the, the whole notion of how the, even the brain chemistry is getting changed to be easily conditioned, you know, little brains are being conditioned at such a young age. When we were kids, if you were bored, which we were a lot probably, you had to find some way to just sort of like either use your imagination or go outside and, you know, play in nature and make up things and live in a different time, you know, in your forts that you made, (laughs) you know. There was a whole other way that your mind, your brain was working and creating different types of neurochemistry. Um, But that's just not so much on offer. So for those of us who really really love this kind of sitting in the mystery of it, sitting in the freshness that is not living in conditioned pictures, whether future or past, it's a very, it's a very lovely thing to share it. You know, it's just, it's comforting. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private session or make either a one-time or a recurring tax-deductible donation to help with the production costs. Assuming you like these podcasts, we would also appreciate a review wherever you're getting yours. Till next time.